Well, as we begin this morning, uh, I just want to share it's been a difficult week in the life of our church. Our pastoral team has had the opportunity to meet with several families and individuals in our church who uh, are experiencing great pain and suffering. And members of our church spent several nights this past week um, at the hospital, at the bedside of people seeking to care and provide the hope of Jesus. Uh, I sat with a young man in our church this week who recently received word that his father had been diagnosed with ALS and that apart from God's intervention has limited time left on this earth. While I was at community group this week, we heard of another young man in our church who was being transported to the hospital after being hit by a car crossing a sidewalk. God preserved his life, and we're just continuing to pray for God's hand of healing over his life uh, to re- repair skull fractures and the pain that he is experiencing. And then in the past few days, you may have heard about the Mares family in our church. Uh, Zach and Rachel Mares are members of Church of the Valley. Uh, they were pregnant with twins, and Rachel recently went into preterm labor on Thursday night. And she gave birth to twins early on Friday morning, but at 21 weeks, their little bodies weren't developed enough to survive. And so after a short time here on earth, Amelia Skip Mares and Felix Arthur Mares passed into God's love and mercy. It's heartbreaking news. And as people have been near, as people have been close to these families and walked alongside uh, there is an unwavering hope amidst great suffering. And to quote Zach Mares, he said, We are thankful for the hope and trust we have in Christ, even in the pit of despair. And so as we come to a close on this week and we step into this passage, I believe this passage speaks directly to what we're facing. And I believe the invitation that Jesus is inviting people Uh, into and what he's inviting them to experience in this passage comes to us this morning as a fresh drink of water, a message of hope amidst great pain and suffering. Um, I understand that probably as you're, you're here this morning, there's probably people who are walking in who are experiencing their own pain and suffering, or maybe it brings up your own suffering, your own loss, and maybe you ask this morning, where is hope in the midst of this? And I think the challenge that I have to come and how do I speak hope to a congregation, to a people who have experienced great loss and have journeyed with people through great loss this past week. And I'm reminded of a pastor who served with Charles Spurgeon by the name of Eric Hayden. While, Charles, while Eric Hayden was preaching in Charles Spurgeon's church, he received word that his mom had passed away. And it says the church secretary offered to make pulpit arrangements to release him from preaching the following Sunday. But Eric, who was scheduled to preach, his father told him, If you cannot preach on a Sunday a message of victory and hope, then there's no point in preaching again. And so it's amidst of great pain and suffering, in the midst of that we step in and we go, how do we bring hope? How do we speak hope 
in the midst of that. And that's my hope, is that this morning that this text would speak to us. Jesus is going to speak and reference death in this passage and the hope for those who keep his word. The first thing I want you to to see in this passage as we jump in this morning is the, the heart of Jesus. And I want you to think about the dialogue that has happened with Jesus in these Jews. And it's important for us to, to kind of understand the context uh, because Jesus is speaking to a people that are seeking to persecute him. Jesus is, is speaking to a people that are seeking to take his life. Jesus is speaking to a people at the very end of our text says they're about to stone him. And so Jesus is, is speaking and conveying this message. He is offering invitation to very, the very people who want to take his life. Jesus is speaking to a people that are out to kill him. These are his enemies. And I look at this and I think about the heart of Jesus and the patience of Jesus in this passage And I go, if this is how Jesus loves his enemies, if this is how Jesus loves those who seek to persecute him, how much more does Jesus love his brothers and sisters? How much more does this proclaim the love of Jesus? And if if we're reading this text and we don't see and experience the love of Jesus through this passage, then we aren't listening. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? How much more now that we've been brought and adopted into the family of God? How much more now that we're no longer enemies of God, but we're children? We're Jesus' brothers and sisters. God is our Father. How much more does this portray? If Jesus were, were inviting, if Jesus were, were, was seeking to pr- portray and, and, and preach this message of hope and invitation and love and freedom to the very people who would take his life, how much more would he want us to adopt this message? How much more would he want us to know and experience his love here this morning? And so it's important for us to kind of understand the context. And if you haven't been here the last few weeks, let me give a, a brief summary of kind of where this has gone. We, we were told several weeks ago uh, that, that people believed, and Pastor Chris came and spoke on this idea of false belief. And in re- reality, they, they believed, they, they saw what is in his message, but weren't really at a place of putting their trust and faith in Jesus and committing their life to Jesus. And so Jesus said, and offered them freedom. And Jesus said to, to come and to be free. And John 8, 31, 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's inviting them into freedom. And then in John 8, 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so in Jesus Christ, we are free. And you're like, well, how how do I experience that freedom? You walk in faith in Jesus. There's nothing else that you have to do. You are free. Live as a free people. And so 
Jesus is going to say there are a few things that we covered last week. There are a few things that keep you from experiencing that freedom. And I said, we have no room in our hearts. We don't have God as our father. We're enslaved by a father of lies. And what Jesus is going to do, Jesus is going to display love by telling us the truth. And while they continue to hurl insults, Jesus patiently offers more invitation. This is the heart of Jesus. Jesus comes, begins preaching and proclaiming a message of freedom, of experiencing life, of experiencing no longer being enslaved by sin, experiencing a a freedom to walk and no longer be enslaved by fear of death, which is kind of the main central theme of the text today. And the people continue to insult him. It says in verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? Now, Jews and Samaritans, you remember if we go back to John chapter four, where Jesus met with the woman of Samaria and how that, that, that engagement with her, um, it was one, the Samaritans were a mixed race of people and the Jews despised Samaritans. And so this is, the, this is a very racist comment. The Jews begin to, to hurl insults and, and persecute and, and criticize Jesus and use comments that are meant to do harm. And in the midst of that, Jesus still loves, portrays, and gives invitation to know him more. They say, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. And this is, there's so much we could learn from Jesus in this idea of like his his worth, his value, his meaning in life is not through the 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 voice of the Jews. It's not through the voice of how people around him view him. It's in this time where he says, I receive the glory from the Father. The the Father glorifies me. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus for us. Church, do we see that this is the love of Jesus for us today? That he loves us so much that he would invite us to experience life and freedom. Jesus is not deterred from his mission. Jesus has one focal point, and it's to bring people to life and experience life. Jesus is not wanting us, and he's not wanting Church of the Valley to settle for Christian mediocrity. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to no longer be in fear or judgment or condemnation of sin and shame. He no longer wants us to be enslaved by the father of lies, and he no longer wants us to be enslaved by fear of death. And so we see in this that Jesus is setting up, I have defeated the three greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death so that you can walk in freedom. You can continue to persecute me. You can continue to insult me and I will continue to go to the cross for you and I will continue to invite you to experience life. Church, that's what Jesus wants you to experience this morning. 
I've been incredibly shaped by the ministry of John Tyson over the years, and I recently heard him say that we live in a time of lukewarmness. I mentioned some of this last week at the end of our sermon. I said how easy it is for us to settle for something less than what Jesus comes to offer. How often we settle for something uh, so much smaller than the grand vision that Jesus is inviting us into. And he says this, the enemy has a plan for your life. It's to get you to accept a mediocre version of what Jesus offers you. He doesn't need you to be a great sinner to get you think that that's all there is. That's ultimately, it's, it's just that the life you're living is all there is. And when you begin to think that the life you're currently living is just all there is, he said, you're as good as dead to Satan having to worry about you. You're no longer a threat. You pose no threat to the enemy's kingdom or plans. And I just wonder this morning if, if we've settled. We see Jesus come and offer life, a life of freedom, a life of experiencing no longer being enslaved by sin, a life of experiencing no longer being enslaved by the father of lies, a life of experiencing freedom over fear of death and removing the sting of death. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it, there, there's no pain and suffering in the midst of that. But he gives us hope. And Jesus is saying, I want to wake you up. I love, as, as Tim Keller, we're going to quote this in a little bit, but he says, when we experience this invitation, it's like smelling salts. If you've ever been a gym in a gym and you've seen somebody take smelling salt and it kind of wakes up the senses and then they're able to go and, and lift something, you know, totally ungodly that they've never been able to lift before. And it's like, this is what, when we encounter and experience Jesus and what he's calling us into, not mediocrity, not lukewarmness, but life, life that's no longer enslaved, a life that is set free. It's like smelling salt to our senses that finally wakes us up to who Jesus is. John Tyson talks a lot about revival. We've been talking about revival in our country. We're, there's places in our country that are experiencing revival. And what they would say is revival is not the normal state. We're not, we're not asking to live in a constant state of revival. Revival brings us back to normal Christianity. What, what's being invited here is not radical Christianity, some of what we see of no longer being enslaved by sin, no longer being enslaved by the father of lies, no longer living in fear of death is not radical Christianity. That is what the normal Christian life that Jesus invites us into. And how many of us say that's what we're experiencing? This is what the heart of Jesus is. Jesus is inviting people into this. And I almost can experience the frustration. I, I, I look at this and I I see the patience of Jesus because Jesus just goes, he's offering over and over and over again, freedom, life, no longer living in fear, in shame, in guilt, no longer experiencing condemnation. Come into me, come, have faith in Jesus, come into my life, hear my words, believe my words, and you'll have this. Just listen to my words and you'll experience this life. And I, I think about how many times I, I, I sit with people, with my kids, with, and I'm like, there's hope. There's so much life if you'll just do this. 
And I get frustrated and I'm going, how is he not frustrated? How does he continue to love these people and walk in such, in such patience with them and care and love? And what I see in this passage is there's just, there's so much more that Jesus is inviting us into. Don't settle, church. Don't settle. Don't settle. There is more for your life than what you're currently experiencing. There is more for your marriage than what you're currently experiencing. There is more for your relationships than you're currently experiencing. And I hope that this morning is like what Tim Keller references, the smelling salts that wake up our senses to go, oh, there's something more I need to step into and live into. So we see the heart of Jesus in this passage. I also want you to see the hope of Jesus in this passage. And the hope comes in that verse that he speaks on death. And it's, it's a message. He says, truly, truly. I, I love this in, in contrast to their question in verse 48. They say, are we not right? Surely we're right. How many of us, you know, we, we think like, surely I'm in the right. Surely I have this, this whole Christianity thing pegged. Surely I know what it means to walk in freedom. Surely I know what it, and, and they're enslaved. They don't see it, right? Like Jesus is like, hey, I want you to be set free. I want you to come and experience freedom. And they're like, we're not enslaved to anyone. And it's like, oh man, like you got to wake up. You got to see this. You got to experience this. And so they're like, are we not right? Like, are, is our assessment of you not right? And Jesus says, let me tell you the truth. If anyone ke- keeps my word, he'll never see death. And so Jesus has already spoken about sin and being set free from sin. Jesus has already talked about being set free from the father of lies, Satan. And then Jesus is going to attack our third enemy right here. And he says, you don't, you don't have to see death. Now, in light of this week and experiencing and seeing loss and experiencing the pain of loss and the suffering that our brothers and sisters have shared in this week, we look at that and go, how does this make sense? How do we, how do we no longer... See, death. D.L. Moody says this, and I think this sums up what is meant by this passage. He said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. He says, I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of flesh may die. That which is born of spirit will live forever. Now, we live in a, a state, in the current state of where we, like, we're, we are, this is a wake-up call, really, like, 2020 was a wake-up call to our mortality, right? I think of our, of our brother who is literally 
crossing a street this week and life flashes. Like it's a wake up call of going, we, we spend our lives trying to avoid death. We spend our lives trying to run from death. We try to biohack our life in, in attempts to, to, to go like, how, how can I ensure by whatever formula that so-and-so, you know, biohacker in life can, can, can kind of download to me so that I won't experience this? And what's interesting is we fear death. We live in fear of it. Tim Keller says there's four reasons why we fear death. The first is modern, med- mod- modern medicine has hidden death from us. Uh, we, we live in a day and age where uh, things within death are outsourced, whereas normally death was experienced in the home. Churches would be built And there would be places of burial right outside most churches. That every time you step into a church, it was a a picture and reminder of your mortality. But yet the message of hope would be proclaimed over and over. The Puritan John Owen outlived every one of his 11 children. Owen said he literally saw nearly every person he loved die before his eyes. The average family in the United States in colonial times lost one out of every three children before adulthood. And at that time, the life expectancy of all people was only about 40 years of age. Medicine and science have relieved us of many of the causes of early death. And today, the vast majority of people Decline and die in hospitals and hospices away from the eyes of others. It's normal now to live into adulthood and not watch anyone die. And there's a sense in that, like there, it creates in us a fear of death. We, we don't walk in it. We don't experience it. We don't see it. The second thing is we live as if this life is all there is. We don't understand the message of hope that you die, you may die physically, but spiritually Jesus comes to offer us eternal life. And we don't see beyond that death. We don't see beyond the pain and experience of of suffering here and now. And, And our eyes need to be open. We need to have a grander vision of life. There needs to be a picture of life that goes beyond burial. And this is what Jesus says, and this is what Jesus offers in this passage. When he says that you'll no longer see death, we'll read a passage here in Hebrews in a second, that you'll no longer live in lifelong slavery of death is because you have a grander vision beyond the grave. When we think about most of us, we try to suck all the meaning and fulfillment out of this life. So if you think about what is the meaning of life, if we live for the temporary, if we, we live for the pursuits, if, if, if we're just living, if our pursuit in this life is to be happy, get married, get a good education, buy the home, have the kids, then what? We're spending all of our life just acquiring more, acquiring stuff, just so that we can be a little more happy. All to just give it up and go to our grave. 
And so we fear death for fear of loss of, of what? I think there was a, a great story of this. Tim Keller says when he was in school, one of his theology professors had this conversation. He said he was at a missionary conference and two young women hearing his preaching decided that they wanted to give their lives to missionary service said both sets of their parents were extremely upset with the, the professor who had felt he had filled their children with religious fanaticism. They said to them, you know that there's no security in being a missionary. The pay is low. The living situation may be dangerous. We've tried talking to our daughters. They need to get a job, a career, maybe get a master degree or something like that so they can have security before they go off and do this missionary thing. And the professor said this, you want them to have some security? We're all on this little ball of a rock called earth and we're spinning through space at millions of miles an hour. Someday, a trap door is going to open up and every single one of us will fall through it. And either there will be millions and millions of miles of nothing or else there will be the everlasting arms of God. And you want them to get a master's degree to give them a little security. It's in death that God says, if I'm not your security, then you've got no security because I'm the only thing that can't be taken away from you. I will hold you in my everlasting arms. Every other set of arms will fail you, but I will never fail you. Everything in this life is going to be taken from us. Everything. So if we spend our life accumulating, acquiring, and building our hope on those things, then death looks like the great destroyer. But if we build our life on Jesus, then death only brings us into the presence of Jesus, which is our greatest joy, our greatest gift. God's love goes with us into death and takes us through it into his arms. It's the one thing you can't lose. Without God's love to embrace us, we will always feel radically insecure. Jesus comes and says, you won't see death. You don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to spend your life living for temporary pleasures because there is an eternity that awaits you that is so much better. Some of us just don't know what awaits us. That's the third thing. We don't know what awaits us. What does heaven hold? Is it just falling into insignificance? Is it falling into nothingness? What does our days in the presence of Jesus look like? And then maybe some of us, lastly, we're just afraid of judgment. We live in the light of this text that says, Right before he offers this invitation to keep his word and never see death, he says, God is the judge. And we fear, what will it look like when we face ju the judge? And so we, we think how often for so many of us, we, we still stack up. We believe, I got to have so many good works. I got to do so many good things to be able to stand before Jesus and not experience judgment or shame or condemnation. Here's what I would tell you in Hebrews chapter 2, 
verse 10 and 14 through 15, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It tells us in this passage, this idea of Jesus being the founder of our salvation um, or the author of our salvation. The, the literal Greek word there, it means he is the champion of our salvation. We live in this way, if I just live a good life, then I can face death. But Christianity is different. Tim Keller says this, Christianity doesn't leave you to face death on your own by holding up your life record and hoping it will suffice. Instead, it gives you a champion who has defeated death, who pardons you and covers you with his love. You face death in him. And to the degree we believe, know, and embrace that, we're released from the power of death. Oh man, I can breathe. There's relief. There's comfort. It makes us look to Jesus who took on our nature. Jesus who would take on suffering. Jesus who would be subjected to death. Jesus goes and destroys the devil and gives us life. And it's not life in the future. It's life to be lived out right here and now. The assumption of the writer is that everyone fears death and we're set free from that. And this is where he quotes the smelling salts. He says, rather than living in fear of death, we should see death as spiritual smelling salts that awaken us out of our false belief that we will live forever. When you're at a funeral, especially one of a friend or loved one, listen to God speaking to you, telling you that everything in life is temporary except for his love. This is reality. When we're faced with a week like this week, it's a reality that awakens us to things of eternity. The things of this, this earth, our job, what we're walking into Monday morning, all of those things kind of begin to just go away. Because eternity is on our mind. Eternity fills our hearts. Eternity fill, f- fills our thoughts and desires. It's, it's in that moment that our eyes are kind of opened. It awakens the senses to a grander picture of what's happening. All the temporary things go away in that moment. The schedule goes out the window. The to-do list goes out the window. Eternity is in our gaze. So there's an implication that it has on our life when we begin to truly live. And it says, don't wait till you're on your deathbed to start living. Live today. John Piper says, the world desperately needs people who have this lens. They need the courage in Christ of fearless Christians who know they will never taste death. The world needs that. Be one of those people. How would it change 
if you were to truly live with that type of freedom, the hope that Jesus offers here, that you'll never see death. And then we see the honesty of Jesus in closing. As you read on, they begin to question whether or not they can believe Jesus. Jesus says, we'll never see death. That there is life after the grave that gives us so much hope. That is meant to change the here and now. Who, who is it that makes this claim to us? And they begin to argue this out in verse 53. It says, are you greater? Who are you? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Why do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar. I wouldn't be honest. But I do know him. He knows him. And he keeps his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? This doesn't make sense. Jesus said to them in a very clear proclamation that he is God. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And in this moment of proclaiming to them the one who makes the promise to you that you will no longer see death, the one who, who makes that claim, the one who is speaking that hope over your life today. I want to know, is he credible? Is he reliable? Can we believe his word? And Jesus says in that moment, you can believe my word. Why? Because I am God. It is God who makes that promise to you today. And it's at these very words that they take this as a blasphemous claim and they choose to seek to stone Jesus because they don't believe him. John Piper says this when he preached on this text. God directed you to this sermon so that you would know first, you don't have to die. Second, that you would know that Jesus, who makes this promise to you, is God, the God of Israel, the God of all. And third, you're here because God wants you to see the implication for your life of knowing you will not die. Jesus came to defeat Satan. Jesus came to defeat the father of lies. The liar is revealed. Everything that Satan tempts us with, he, he, he comes to reveal and expose so that you can truly experience life. Jesus comes to offer you life. Satan comes to destroy your life. But there's victory in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. So my question to you today, 
Our days are numbered. Is eternity in view? Do you wake up tomorrow on Monday morning and and wake and like smelling salts, are your senses awakened to the reality of what Jesus offers us? Do you not see that while your days may be limited here on earth, that in Jesus Christ, your days are not numbered? Jesus offers you eternity. And he says, if you keep his word, which basically just means to to fall in alignment of everything that Jesus taught. It doesn't mean to be sinless. The truth of the matter is, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, pastor included, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we continue by faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We look to him. We repent of our sin and we constantly come and we constantly turn from the father of lies and say, I will no longer live under his enslavement. And I look to the one who has come to proclaim truth and life. I no longer settle for mediocrity and lukewarmness. I want to step into not radical Christianity, but just the life that Jesus offered me to be a Christ follower, to experience life, to experience hope and to experience his heart for you and I. Jesus says when we put our faith in him and believe him and take him at his word, we will not see death. I hope this morning that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I hope believer in the room this morning that you would truly live in light of that freedom that he's come to offer you. That you would truly this morning experience this life and, and, and wake up to the reality that this life is not all there is. There is much more to be grasped. May he fill our vision with that this morning. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and ask for comfort. Lord, there's pain in this room. There's suffering in this room. Lord, we live in this tension right now where at times it's hard to see eternity. It's hard to grasp eternity. So it seems like death is final. But Lord, you have proclaimed to us over and over and over that there is life beyond the grave and that gives us much hope. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they fall into the arms of a loving God. What good news. So Father, I pray for every single person in this room this morning that they would know, that they would know, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt when their earthly life comes to a close, that eternity awaits them. I I pray and ask that they would live into that hope today and experience that hope today and experience that life and freedom today. So Father, I pray that you would help us to respond in light of that this morning, even as we come and we take communion, that we recognize through the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. Satan's sin and death have been defeated. 
We can look back at this time in history and know for certain Jesus truly walked the face of this earth. He truly lived a perfect life. Jesus was who he says he was. He was God in the flesh. And you came, invited us into life, your enemies. And you took on our punishment, our shame, our sin, our condemnation. The wrath of God was poured upon you, Jesus, so that we would be set free, free to live in the here and now. So I pray that you would help us even as we step into communion this morning, that this, as we take of this bread, as we take of this cup, that it is a reminder, a tangible picture of your presence with us and the freedom that was bought for us on Calvary. Lord, help us to live in light of that. Help us to live with the hope of this message that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. We thank you that this is true. For those who have put their faith in Jesus. And we proclaim this hope over our city and our friends and our neighbors. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.